0: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Reluctance On Podcast with Chris. Today's episode is brought to you by Pinot Noir. Uh, I wanted to take some time and talk about people's often primitive perspective or persnickety perspective of Pinot Noir. A lot of peas. I'm trying to be creative here. Guys, give me a hand. Anyways. Today's podcast is going to focus a little bit more on a grape that I think everybody thinks they're familiar with, or may be familiar with, or maybe you're not familiar with, and I wanted to bring a little more knowledge to the table. If you know everything about Pinot, or think you know everything about Pinot, you probably don't. And if you actually do know everything about Pinot, then I apologize for my ignorance. Anyways. You've heard me talk about Pinot Noir before in other episodes. Um, I think I've talked about it as a featured wine, or maybe a retail wine, or maybe one of my favorite wines, and I may have even done a brief tangent on Pinot Noir as a whole. Um, and by no means is this episode intent uh, intended to educate you completely on the world of Pinot Noir. That would be an exercise in futility, I, I don't think that it's possible, especially not for somebody of my level, uh, but if you have the time and money, and you go out there and you try every Pinot Noir there is, and research every Pinot Noir there is, then, uh, you know, you might be able to do it. But my podcast is supposed to be easy to listen to, and I know that I may have been maybe a little too serious, or maybe a little too dense on information, so I'll try to keep it light, uh, while also keeping it educational, as that is the purpose of the podcast, Uh, Aside from, obviously, de-stuffing the stuffiness of the wine industry. Uh, I don't want wine to be unapproachable at all. Uh, I don't want wine to be unenjoyable at all. Uh, That's, in fact, the uh, opposite of what I'm aiming for here. So, without further ado, Pinot Noir. So, uh, Pinot Noir is grown in about 27 countries. Uh, It's generally a cooler climate grape. So what that means is, is it does well in Oregon, as I'm sure many people know. It does well in Sonoma, um, and Sonoma is not necessarily cooler than Oregon, uh, but it's a little cooler than Napa as far as climate goes. Uh, it does well in Burgundy, which is a region in France. Um, you may have heard of Bordeaux before, which is another region that does not grow Pinot Noir, and that's because that region's a little more warm. It does better with other grapes. Uh, other grapes we've kind of covered, but nothing you know, out of the ordinary. So, to start, I would like to talk about Pinot Noir, and again, people's perception of Pinot Noir, because I think oftentimes that it can be uh, slightly narrow-minded. So, as I've grown to enjoy wine, at a very young age, I started drinking wine, maybe possibly before the age of 21, even though that's illegal not condoning underage drinking by any means, but I may have tasted some alcoholic beverages before the age of 21. One or two, or three or four thousand, that is. Uh, so, Pinot Noir is something that I was not initially a fan of. One of the first wines that I enjoyed was Chianti, but I slowly came to enjoy Pinot Noir, and um, one of the first Pinot Noirs that I came to love. Was also one of the first Pinot Noirs that I eventually came to hate, and one of the Pinot Noirs that I've now slowly come back around to being more open minded about. As I've said before, I think open mindedness is a, is a great approach to the wine industry, a great approach to uh, life. Mayomi um, Pinot Noir. So, Mayomi Pinot Noir is a wine uh, that was made by the Wagner family. Um, they produced it under the same house as their Bella Gloss line of wines. Uh, I'm fairly certain that they've sold Mayomi off to Constellation brands now. I could be wrong, uh, but they make a Pinot Noir and a Chardonnay. And anyways, when I didn't enjoy Pinot Noir, I enjoyed, let's say, Cabernet a little bit more. Along came Mayomi. Mayomi was a little bit more of a full-bodied wine, uh, full-bodied Pinot. Um, even though that's kind of you know an oxymoron to say a full-bodied Pinot Noir, but a relatively forward Pinot Noir, and you know everybody has their opinion on it. I don't necessarily think that it was made with a hundred percent Pinot Noir, uh, but the family, um, more specifically the company, I'm sorry, uh, does not tell you what other grapes are in there or what percentage of what grapes are in there. So this was a very fruit-forward wine. It was it was not. I don't want to say sweet, that makes it sound like a dessert wine, but but it's very fruit-forward. It was like drinking fresh berries, um, which is great for maybe somebody that's looking for that kind of a wine. And at that time, that's what I came to like in Pinot Noir. And then as I drank Pinot Noir a little bit more, I started to enjoy things that were a little higher acid, a little leaner. And then I got into things that tasted a little more earthy, a little bit more mushroomy. Uh, and now I kind of just enjoy a different Pinot Noir to whatever I'm eating or whatever mood I'm in. So it kind of evolves, and and as you grow, I think your palate grows as well, um, but I think too often we limit the growth of our palate with the uh, closed-mindedness that we may have. As we get more educated in the wine industry, we often tend to draw lines in the sand and say, you know, I don't enjoy wine from this producer, where you know, every vintage is a little different. Sometimes the weather has an impact, different winemakers, different owners, things are ever changing and ever evolving. I, I know that when I was drinking 2012, 2013, Naomi, I didn't enjoy it. But when I was drinking 08, 09, Naomi, I enjoyed it. And and then I was drinking 2017 and 2018, Naomi, and it was fine. So, you know, how much of it changed on their end? How much of it changed on my end? the The amount that, my palate could have changed or the number of things that could have changed from the grape growing in the ground to the to the chemicals in the soil to the amount of sunlight to the amount of rain to the day it's harvested limitless possibilities for for a different quality pinot noir here so i think that being said if you don't like certain pinot noirs maybe you know give them a try if you're bored or you just want to get drunk <laughs> Okay, so Pinot Noir is grown in 27 different countries. I just said that. I know I'm just restating that to say again that there are a lot of different interpretations of Pinot Noir. Uh, Also, there's a lot of different interpretations of Pinot Noir in California. And obviously, in California, you may be familiar with Central Coast, Sonoma, um, Russian River, let's say. But there's also, you know, Carneros, Mendocino, Anderson Valley, Santa Lucia Highlands, or Lucia Highlands, um, they've, there's a lot of regions just within one state, not to mention, again, a lot of really great world-class Pinot Noirs also come from Oregon, Um, but imagine 27 countries worth of Pinot Noir, 27 plus countries worth of Pinot Noir, and all the different climates and all the different weathers can all have a, a really large impact on, on that grape. So, if you don't like California Pinot Noir, try French Pinot Noir. If you don't like a French Pinot Noir, try a New Zealand Pinot Noir. I, I really enjoy New Zealand Pinot Noirs when I have the opportunity to try them. Um, but there's a uh, new kid on the block, and AVAs, which I'll kind of give you a brief overview of, American viticultural area, uh, are changing regularly and, and being added and and not really being taken away. But essentially what, what that means is, that the government has come in and said that this is an American viticultural area, which means that you can grow grapes, harvest grapes, bottle the wine, and label the wine from that region. Now, grapes had been grown in Petaluma Gap AVA before, uh, Petaluma Gap area before, but they weren't being produced as Petaluma Gap wines. They were being produced as, let's say, a Central Coast wine, or let's say, California Pinot Noir. So, the Petaluma Gap AVA is... uh, a region that I've had recently that I really enjoy. I've had a few wines from them. They're generally a little lighter in style, um, I would say, than than something like Russian River or Anderson Valley that are a little more opulent in style for for Pinot Noir. Whether the producer or not, that's kind of the styles that, they're, that you see coming out of there. And obviously, I've not had a lot of Petaluma Gap Pinot Noirs, but I imagine that there are some that are a little more forward in style and some that are a little lighter in style. But the, the three or four that I've had have been lighter and and I really enjoy it. So this is a relatively new AVA. They've been around since December 2017. Um, but again, that doesn't mean that there weren't grapes grown there before. It just means that they maybe weren't recognized for the uh, quality or the standard um, that they're recognized as now. Um, Pinot Noir has been planted in California for 50 plus years, um, and just in like the Russian River area. So I mean, it, it's been around, I've talked before probably about, you know, French wine tastings, maybe the Spurrier wine tasting, I don't know. I've probably talked about all kinds of stuff, but, but wine has been an integral part in California's history for, for quite a long time. And I've also talked about some, some of my favorite producers, uh, Emeritus Vineyards, their Halberg Ranch Pinot Noir is really fantastic. I've talked about the 2016 of that before, I've also talked about the 2016 Rose Rock Pinot Noir, coming from Yoli Amity Hills in Oregon, uh, that's made by the, uh, Domaine Druin family, which is also part of the Joseph Druin family in, in Burgundy, um, in the same podcast that I've talked about, Unshackled. So, um, Pinot is something that will always come up at some point in some tangent that I have, I'm sure, because it's such a, a workhorse in the world of wine, um, one of the the big names out there, uh, his name's John Priest. He's the senior winemaker for Etude Winery. Uh, Etude makes some really, really great Pinot Noirs. Um, they have a lot of different styles. Lyric, you might see in the grocery store, is is really great, very approachable, um, relatively affordable, and, and a nice, you know, middle-of-the-road Pinot Noir, but they have a lot of really great things, like their heirloom Pinot Noir. Um, uh, they make a ton of different expressions, but... But they're, they're really, really great. And, and uh, John Priest has been making wine for, for quite a long time. Um, he says that when it comes to what the most important thing for growing Pinot Noir is, is absolutely, this is quotes, so I apologize, but absolutely the site. Pinot Noir expresses the peculiarities of a site, the terroir, more than most varietals. The potential for quality and individuality only comes from the place in which the wine, wines are grown. So, as I've said, a lot of countries are producing Pinot Noir. A lot of regions within those countries are producing Pinot Noir. A lot of people are producing the Pinot Noir. Um, so there's so many different ways that a Pinot Noir can taste, which is kind of fun. It's It's awesome. It means that the world is ever-growing, ever-changing, and you'll always have something new to try. Uh, whether it's vintage or a new producer or a new region, I'm sure Pinot Noir is not slowing down anytime soon. That being said, I also wanted to talk about one of the things that really kind of kicked off the Pinot Noir craze. Now, you you know, everybody's kind of on this rosé craze, and they have been for a few years, maybe more than a few years now, I guess. But people like rosé. A lot of rosés are made from a lot of different grapes. They make a lot of Pinot Noir rosés, but I think Pinot Noir is still a really big seller in the red wine category. And, and I think you know with, with just cause, it, It's a great grape that has a lot of potential and it has a lot of uh, uniqueness and a lot of individuality and compare with many, many ranges of food depending on style or, or the region that it's from. But Pinot Noir, I don't think got there on its own. I think Pinot Noir was largely impacted by Hollywood. What I mean by that, well, not necessarily just Hollywood, but there was a book. The book eventually became a movie, and you probably have heard of it, probably have watched it, and it may have or may not have affected your opinion on another grape, but uh, the movie is called Sideways. Sideways was a movie that came out in October 2004, and... The movie—it's made with Steve Buscemi and some other people. Sandra Oh. There's there's great actors, but basically it's kind of like a, a road trip. One guy's gonna get married, and his other friend is more the star. This is Paul Giamatti, and he's kind of you know unhappy and 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 feels unsuccessful and underappreciated, but he loves Merlot, or does he love Pinot Noir? I don't know, it's been a minute since I watched the movie. Anyways, so the movie often tends to make jokes on Merlot and kind of affect people's perception of Merlot by suggesting that Merlot can be kind of boring or a, a safe bet and that Pinot Noir is, is a better option, more approachable, more delicious. And, and that being said, many people like to blame uh, a decrease in sales on Merlot uh, due to the movie Sideways, but I kind of am going to maybe say something a little controversial. I don't normally do that. I'm just kidding. I, I often do that and say that maybe Merlot stopped selling well because they stopped trying to make it in different styles. Maybe it's not as versatile a grape. Maybe it seemed that it was too one-note, where, again, Pinot Noir is a little bit more of a volatile product. It, it, it's it's harder to grow. It's a, it's a little more difficult. Um, it has historic growing issues, um, but it can range a lot. So, it, there was a study that was done, I can't obviously remember the name of the study right now, but uh, they showed that the sales of Merlot dropped 2% from the movie, which, is quite a few bottles, uh, it, probably quite a few cases, but in the grand scheme of things, isn't really a death blow to Merlot. However, it increased Pinot Noir sales by 16%, so a much more substantial increase than in the Pinot Noir realm than decrease in the Merlot realm. So, you know, the movie Sideways did have an impact on... Uh, the movie and the book Sideways obviously did have an impact on... Um, the wine industry, especially Pinot Noir, and slightly on Merlot, but I think mainly on Pinot Noir, and that's kind of when we really saw the Pinot Noir craze take off and and it became a big deal. Um, I think that, you know, both grapes are great. I think both have their purpose, but I think, you know, Pinot Noir may be a little bit more of a versatile grape on its own, not to say that Merlot can't be a fantastic addition to other wines are part of a blend. Not to say that there's not many, many interpretations of Merlot that are quite delicious. But I think that right now, Pinot Noir is something that people are a little more focused on. And obviously, when people are buying those grapes and buying those wines, and they're making money on those, it allows them a little more money to experiment with other versions of those grapes. A, a why why limit yourself? You know? Just, just drink it, man. <laughs> so, there's a lot of different styles of California Pinot Noir, a lot of different styles of Pinot Noir in general across the world, but I would say that one of the most important regions, I'm going to underline that, one of the most important regions when it comes to Pinot Noir is Burgundy. And in France, there's major growing regions and there's minor growing regions but i would say that people often argue what are the two best regions in france and many people think bordeaux and many people think burgundy and i think you know it's like comparing apples to oranges it's they're 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 too different to compare on on such a way so i kind of wanted to talk about some of the legal levels of quality in French wine. I've said before that, you know, in, in Europe, often in Italy and France, there's a lot of regulations that go into the production of the wine. And I think that they can uh, affect the overall quality of the wine. So there is a regional wine, which is like Bourgogne or Cremont, which is a larger region. There's a communal wine or a village level wine um, that makes up about 37% of all wine production coming from Burgundy. Uh, and it can be any of 44 villages. Then there's Premier Cru, or you might see on a bottle or a menu, one, the number one, ER Cru, that's Premier Cru, makes up about 10% of all production from Burgundy. And there's 640 different vineyards or plots, if you will, that it can be made from. Wines are generally a little more intense. And then there's Grand Cru, which is the highest level of French wine from Burgundy more i'm gonna say that again french wine from burgundy there's different regions that use different regulatory systems but in burgundy a grand Cru wine is the most highly sought after wine it makes up one percent of the population and there's only 33 grand Cru appellations uh, um, grand Cru sites in burgundy so it's hard to find it's hard to make it's expensive if you find a bottle it's probably going to cost you a pretty penny there's some great Grand Cru um, wines that you can probably get at a restaurant for, let's say, 150. I would say around 150. I've I've seen some Grand Cru white Burgundies, Grand Cru Chablis for, you know, um, 120, 140. You know, there's there's really great products out there, but generally Grand Cru can be quite expensive, uh, especially when you see some of the world class bottles and some of the most expensive bottles out there, like Domaine Romani Conti which is considered one of the most highly sought-after wines in the world, uh, a Pinot Noir, um, that is ridiculously priced. I mean, maybe not. I haven't tried it. But I'm sure if you try it, it's it's worth it. I don't know if I'd say that. If you want to buy a bottle of wine from the grocery store and it's delicious, it's worth it. That Let's put it like that. If you enjoy the wine, the wine's worth it. If you're going to drink another bottle, even better. The wine's definitely worth it. <laughs> So Pinot Noir as a whole is a a really safe bet for the culinary scene and for food because it can often pair with seafood. I would say that um, it's maybe not the safest bet for seafood, but it's a great bridge if let's say you have some people at dinner that are going to have seafood and some people at dinner are going to have meat. Pinot Noir is a really great um, uh, option, a very versatile wine. Uh, But in general, they recommend pairing with duck, chicken, pork, mushrooms. Mushrooms are one of my favorite things, food-wise, but also to pair with Pinot Noir. I think Pinot Noir and mushrooms is kind of like my match made in heaven. Uh, So, some of my favorite Pinot Noirs out there are... uh, Or no, not some of my favorite Pinot Noirs. Some of the Pinot Noirs that I've had recently um, that I've really enjoyed are 2017 Louis Latour Marconais. So, break it down really quick. Louis Latour is the producer. Marcinet is the village. So, as I went over before, there's a regional wine, communal wine, or village wine. So, that's what this is. Uh, they normally age for about three to five years. They're they're approachable. Some can be affordable. Some can be a little more expensive. I had this at a restaurant. I think I paid upwards of $100 a bottle. But Latour is a great producer and, and uh, worth it. But if you see a Latour wine in the grocery store, you know that It's coming from a really great producer, and I think it's a safe bet to buy. Maybe not everybody's favorite, but I would say if you don't know any of the producers and you kind of want a safe bet, Latour is a safe bet to go for as far as uh, quality and consistency from vintage to vintage as far as quality goes. So that being said, Louis Latour is a negotiant éleveur. If I said that wrong, I apologize. Anyways, what it means is it's somebody that buys the grapes or buys wines that have already been fermented and then bottles them under their own name. So they do have vineyard sites, they do have their own vines that they harvest and their own grapes that they make wine from, but they often buy wines from other people or buy grapes from other people and then make the wines, which is not an uncommon practice. And I don't think that by any means it should take away from any of the appeal of... The wines by thinking that, oh, it's not a single farmer doing it. If it was a single farmer doing it, it may cost him an arm and a leg to do it. The wine may be ridiculously expensive. You may never drink it. It, At least in this case, the farmer's selling the grapes or selling the wine and they're making money and they're washing their hands. It's done until the next vintage. Latour has been around for seven generations. Um, they're, they're, again, just a great name for the world of Burgundy. They also make wines from Beaujolais, which some argue is also part of Burgundy. But in this particular situation, we'll just say that Latour is a great producer to go to. Uh, the wine was robust, sturdy, had a lot of red fruit. It was kind of gamey. Um, I paired it with a paella that was really delicious, a mushroom paella. Um, I, I was very happy with it. And uh, as you may see in my... Post on social media, uh, Reluctance on Instagram, or maybe The Reluctant on. If you search it, you'll find me. I have a jacket that has just the right size pocket on the inside for a bottle of wine. So I went to lunch, didn't finish the bottle of wine. I know, surprise, surprise. Go figure, lush like me, leaving a drop of wine in the bottle. Well, I didn't leave the bottle. I took it home and I drank it later, but I took the bottle put it in the pocket in my jacket, and then I went to uh, Williams-Sonoma and looked at all of the really expensive things that I can't afford. Uh, A lot of really beautiful Japanese knives and a lot of really beautiful cutting boards that maybe I could afford if I didn't have such a drinking habit. (laughs) Or if I didn't feel the need to spend more money on wine than I do (laughs) on wine glasses or plates or jewelry or anything. I think that you know maybe I'm a little obsessed with wine. Thanks for listening. You guys are great listeners. I, I, I know that uh, you're helping me work through this. I don't know why I would ever pay a therapist if I could just sit in a room and talk to myself. I mean, talk to you guys. That's what I mean. Well, uh, okay. Back on a more positive note. Uh, another wine that I've had recently that you can get and is a little more affordable, a little more approachable. You can order it online, guys. It's $26 a bottle if you can't find it in stores, which may be the case because it's a little bit of a smaller producer. It's called 37, that's spelled out, 30-7, uh, Pinot Noir, uh, from 2018 Vintage. Uh, I had this, I actually went over to a friend's house, and um, he opened a bottle for me to try, and I was really impressed with it. This comes from that Petaluma Gap AVA that I was telling you about, that was just recognized in 2017 as its own wine-growing region. Um, obviously, they they recognized it in December of 2017, which means that for the most part, uh, there may be some wineries that could have had 2017 Petaluma Gap wines, but most probably started in 2018. There's only 540 cases produced, so relatively small production, especially in comparison to a producer like Louis Latour. Um, and the fruit profile was really nice. On the nose, there was plum, raspberry, just a little black tea. Uh, and on the palate, there was You know, some nice cherry, cocoa, ripe strawberries, a little bit of baking spice. Uh, I really, really love this wine, especially for the price. It was really fantastic. Um, Yeah. And then one other wine I wanted to throw on, since I figured I'm talking about Pinot Noir, I may as well talk about a really great producer. Obviously, Latour and 37, I'm not taking anything away from them. But I think a producer that a lot of people are kind of... Geeky about, you may not have heard of, but I was not aware that you could find a, a relatively affordable bottle of. I was in Portland recently. I went to uh, New Seasons, which is kind of like an organic um, grocery store chain, if you will. And I'm not sure if they're outside of Portland. I've not seen them before anywhere else, but uh, they have a great wine selection. And I found a wine from Mouniard Mouniere, which is a, a producer in Burgundy, in France. Uh, that specializes in Pinot Noir and Chardonnay, because they're from Burgundy. Those are the grapes that are grown there. And I had a 2016 Bourgogne. So the Bourgogne is actually a lower level of the wine that I had earlier, which was a village appellation. This is a, a, a village wine. This is a regional wine. So it can be grown in a much larger area. It can be made from a lot of different grapes, from a lot of different vineyards, as long as all the grapes come from the Bourgogne region. Uh, but it was great. It had a lot of red fruit. It had like a Bing cherry. It was much more earthy in style, a little plum. Um, it was really, really good wine. And I've only seen wines from this producer before on a list for, let's say, 250 275 $350 a bottle. Uh, again, on a wine list. But I picked this wine up in the grocery store for $30. And I'd say 30 bucks for a Bourgogne is definitely a little more expensive, but it's a really great producer. And I'm not at all displeased with my purchase. Okay, guys. Well, that's it. I uh, think I talked enough about Pinot Noir. This is obviously one installment of many installments of the Pinot Noir grape, uh, the production of Pinot Noir, the wines made from Pinot Noir, um... You're going to hear me talk about this a lot. I don't have any stories for you today. All I can say is uh, love each other, guys. Love each other. Stay positive, not COVID positive. Try to maintain a positive outlook. And uh, see you on the other side. Peace out. Bye.